Good morning. Hope y'all are having a great Wednesday. Um, I just wanted to jump on here and give you guys a reminder that we are going to be doing the Overland Expos. Um, we got our first one coming up here in just a couple weeks. We're going to be in Bend, Oregon, uh, July 8th through the 10th. So uh, if you guys are in that area, you want to come check out some tents, stop by our booth. We're going to be over there. We're going to have some uh, some of our bigger teepees, some of our smaller shelters. So you'll have chance to check all that stuff out. Um, we also, if you are listening to this on Wednesday, July 15th, as of right now, we still have some DCF uh, shelters available up on the website. So go check those out. Um, other than that, I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. Uh, we got Ray Penny from uh, G&H Decoys. Uh, you guys got to go check them out. These decoys, I have a very fond uh, memory with. They were the first decoy that I ever sat under the first time that my dad took me out goose hunting. So um, they're awesome decoys, but hope you guys enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Seek Outside Podcast. Hey, you, should, you think that's bad? See Ryan on the phone in the office. <laughs> Wired that way. Um, if you really wanted to steal our idea and start making duck decoys in the United States, good on you, man. You, you got a lot of work ahead of you to get that started. Yeah. So I can imagine, man. Um, yeah. So let me first give you an introduction. We're rolling. Sure. I just got it going. So, so we got Ray uh, Penny. Penny. Yep. Penny from G and H Decoys, um, and you guys are based out of Oklahoma. We are. Um, you want to give us your your story there, man, and how you became the? Are you the CEO? I am. CEO, I'm the, president. the president and CEO. Right on. Uh, I'm the. We jokingly call me the chief cook and bottle wash. Nah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we've got a great group of people that are willing to jump in and do whatever needs to be done. Um, I G and H is uh, an 88-year-old waterfowl company uh, based in Henrietta, Oklahoma. We've been in continuous operation since 1934 there in Henrietta. Uh, yeah. Factory started at uh, at the home of a guy named John Gazalski, okay. uh, who was the founder of the company. He was a World War One veteran, and uh, in 1934. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt signed the Duck Stamp Act, and he mm -hmm. made it illegal to use live birds as decoys for waterfowl hunting. You know, in the past, you'd have your old little flock of ducks that you'd keep in your yard, and you'd tie strings to their legs and pitch them out on the pond. Really? And they, you know, you fed them enough corn and shot shotguns around them just like you would with your dog, and they'd get used to guns going off. And so you'd have, you know, live motion decoys swimming in the water in front of you. Uh, the thing was so effective, though, that in, in the 1930s, we realized we needed to do something as a country for waterfowl conservation and that numbers were, were you know, declining. And so FDR signed the Duck Stamp Act, which created the Duck Stamp and, mm. you know, pushed all of this money into waterfowl conservation. But it did a few other things. And one of the things it did was to make the use of those live birds illegal. So this guy, uh, John Gazalski, in 1934, called his, or I think he walked across town and went to his father-in-law's house and said, hey, I got an idea for how we could make a bunch of money. We'll make waterfowl decoys for people since you can't use live birds anymore. 
And uh, so his father-in-law, J.V. Hutton, uh, he, they, two of them got together and they, in the back of, of John's house and in his shop, they started making goose shell decoys out of paper mache. And they'd lay really? paper mache over a form and then they'd paint it. Uh, and that was sort of the beginning of, of G&H, which stands for Kozalski and Hutton Decoy really? Company. Uh, we're the oldest manufacturer of, of waterfowl products still in operation in the United States, and we're the last one that still does all of our manufacturing in the United States. Yeah, so, and that's that's one of the cool things about you guys. Um, you know, we're Seek Outside here. Yep. We, we kind of try to sit, live by the same mantra. You know, yep. all of our stuff is made in America, with the exception of a couple, you know, plastic sure. buckles that we, we get shipped in. But it, all these tents are sewn, um, you know, right there in Grand Junction. Yeah. And I'm sure you can speak to this. It's a hard operation to have everything made in America. I mean, there's, there's so many different problems that arise from that. So maybe you could maybe you could explain um, where you guys are at in production right now. Sure. With uh, with that whole thing. So you know, the second piece of our story kind of dovetails perfectly with this. It's that uh, John Gazalski left the company to his son, Dick Gazalski. Uh, Dick was a World War II and Korea veteran. He came back from the wars and started working in the family business. Uh, and in the 1980s and 90s, G&H was the product. And that was before all of these waterfowl products had other, you know, all of our competitors. And I'm not trying to say anything bad about anybody. There's a lot of great products on the market. Mm -hmm. But everybody kind of exported production to China because it was cheaper and, and easier. Uh, but the Kozalski family was very stubborn and they kept uh, production there in, in Henrietta. Um, the business kind of stopped growing and fell on some hard times uh, and the factory got kind of mothballed about two and a half years ago and didn't produce a decoy for for almost two full years really when we uh, kind of came to the company and uh, myself and a guy who's my oldest childhood friend and he's the guy that actually introduced me to your products really his name is Joe Licata big time uh, seek outside fan you know, uh, that name sounds familiar. I almost want to say I've, like, talked to him I'm sure you have. <laughs> He's got... We've spent a lot of nights in your, your Cimarron teepee in the backcountry. Uh, I told you that story before we recorded the podcast about how that teepee literally saved my life. You yeah. Know, being freezing, uh, in some freezing rain and disoriented and lost and getting inside that thing and getting warm again uh, and living to see another day. But, uh, so Joe and I were, were hunting... Uh, in fact, it was that it was that very same trip uh, where we had that experience being in the cold, uh, where Joe said to me, he said, "What's the thing we can uh, can make in the United States? You know, I want to make a thing." He's and it was a, an attorney just like I was an attorney at the time, and I shot my mouth off and I said, "We should go buy GNH Decoy Company. That company used to be something big, and it's it's not anymore. And we could turn it around and you know make a waterfowl decoy in the United States." And he said, Ray, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard of. Why would we make duck decoys? So I kind of forgot about it. And then a few weeks later, he called me and he said, no, I was, you know, I was thinking about it. That might, might work. Let's try it. And so we started to look into the business. Uh, well, about six weeks after we started to look into it, uh, we discovered that Dick Kozalski had, had died. Mm. Uh, and the lawyers that were handling his estate didn't know uh, what they were going to do with the business. There was another bidder who wanted to purchase the company and export production to Mexico and change the name. And uh, it took us about a year, but we finally closed on the sale of the business. And then we had this factory with all of this, I mean, 120,000 square foot manufacturing facility wow. with all of this equipment in it and two employees. Uh, the general manager was still there and a bookkeeper was still there. And uh, in fact, the bookkeeper wasn't even the original bookkeeper to the company. She was somebody that was new and had been sort of hired to kind of handle the business as they were winding it down. And, yeah. and they were going to chop it up for scrap was the, was the plan before we bought it. Really, and so 
it, it has been a, a wild ride. You know, when you ask about American manufacturing, it's been a wild ride because the first thing we had to do was go find the old employees who knew how to fix the machines, who knew how to operate the equipment. It's one thing to look at that, and you can get all the technical manuals out for a, for a blow molder, and you can learn about how the whole thing works, but I'd never operated one of those things. So we literally uh, stopped going into the Taco Bell and saying, hey, did you, you used to work at G&H, didn't you? And, yeah. We hired six employees who used to be G&H employees out of the two Taco Bells in the area, and really? that's what they'd gone on to do. And that was all... Like kind of during COVID, I mean, it was probably it was down, but. it was uh, end of of 2021, beginning of 2022, <clears throat> and uh, the word's kind of gotten out through the community that we're trying to be, you know, trying to regrow the manufacturing capacity there in town, and so we've had a lot of those people come back to us, and we've rehired uh, 26 former employees, and we've added a few more uh, new employees. We've rebuilt almost all of the equipment except for one one large piece of machinery that I'm still waiting on some parts for. Mm-hmm. And uh, those, if anybody was was happy to see G&H come back, it was the former employees, because that you can appreciate manufacturing a thing in the United States. Like your employees are better, very very proud of the products they make, and oh, they're yeah. proud of Seek Outside, and they're proud. I'm sure every time they see a picture of somebody, you know, packing a mule deer off the mountain. Uh, with one of their products, they feel good about uh, the work that they did to, to help somebody have that experience. And our, our employees feel the same way. They're super proud of what they do. And some of them have spent their entire lives uh, in that factory. Derek Thomas, our general manager, has been there for 28 years. Really? Uh, he started working on the, the goose shell manufacturing side and rose to be the general manager of the, of the facility. Uh, Cecil is a guy who uh, handles all, a lot of our maintenance work. Cecil's been there for multiple decades. Uh, he was very close with Dick Gazalski when he passed away. Um, so, you know, a, a close friend of, of Dick's. Uh, we have a maintenance guy named Dennis who has been there for 36 years, I believe. Uh, he's not maintenance, I'm sorry. He, he works on the, on the uh, blow molding side. Dennis has been there for 36 years and, uh, you know, the majority of his, his adult life. And, and he's proud of G&H and that's... That's who Dennis is. Everybody knows him in town as the, the, the decoy guy. The decoy guy, <laughs> the guy that's been working there the longest. And and Dennis has forgotten more about the inside of that factory than I think I'll ever know about it. <laughs> and we'll be stumped with some puzzle or some question, and somebody will say, go get Dennis. And Dennis will walk over, and he just he has the knowledge stored in his brain somewhere about how this piece of equipment used to work or how they used to do it in the old days or how they used to paint this one particular decoy. Uh, and so this, you know, the strength of GNH is in those, in those people and that legacy of manufacturing that, that existed for decades. Yeah, that's all. I mean, that's such a great move that you guys made with, with trying to go get the old employees. Yeah, Cause thank you. I mean, you know, especially with production, you know, I've seen it firsthand at, at Seek Outside, right? I mean, you sure. have these people that have been there since the beginning yep. that though, I mean, they probably don't get nearly enough credit as they deserve. Right. But mm-hmm. the whole thing depends on them being there. They're, they're the cornerstones of, of production. Absolutely. And it's such an intricate thing, but uh, that's awesome, man. I'm, I'm super glad that you guys are back because I think I was telling Carlos over there, your director of conservation, yep. that uh, I, I, I texted my dad to send me the pictures. He hasn't texted me back yet, but um, some, like my first hunting trip was goose hunting in Colorado. 
And what my dad did was he would just stick me under a, a jumbo shell. Awesome. And I would just lay there and, and wait till he shot a goose. And we didn't have a, a dog back then, so I was the retriever. Oh, that's cool. And so, like, so G&H definitely has a, a, a special place in my yeah. you know, waterfowl hunting career. I was telling you yesterday I still have a, a couple uh, of a drake mallard and a hen mallard that I got. It was, like, part of my first thing in decoys that I bought, you know, when I was probably 10 years old yeah um I, I probably didn't buy them it's probably my dad but sure you know and uh i still have them kicking around so i'm i'm glad you know i, I hadn't really thought about gnh until yep. you guys popped up here at b uh bha and um i'm so i'm super glad that you guys are kind of getting involved because it's a it's a cool community that you guys are jumping yeah. into and seems like with all american made you kind of kind of belong here um thank you so yeah, we um, we're we're super proud of that that legacy, you know, of, of people passing things on to their kids, mm -hmm. and that's what we want to continue to be. You know, the the decoy company that uh, you can buy a decoy that'll last all those seasons, and that you could pass on to your kids some days. You know, yeah. you could pass those decoys down and say, you know, these are the decoys your grandpa and I hunted over. Yeah, you know, before you were even thought of. Yeah. Uh, we have some of those Ultramag shells over here I at the booth. Him. I saw them. Yeah, I, there I was a to... kid who was crawling up under one uh, just a little bit ago before I came over here. But, uh, yeah, it, it's a great legacy, and, and you know, I've, sometimes I, if, if anything keeps me awake at night, uh, it's not, you know, uh, what is the reception of G&H going to be? Everybody's happy to see G&H come back. Yeah. But I feel like we bought, when we bought this company, we bought a piece of American history. Mm -hmm. And if anything keeps me up at night, it's, it's like, man, what happens if I screw up this company? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's what I worry about is, is making sure we do it. You know, do it the right way. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think as long as we keep those institutional people that have been there for so long around, uh, I think we'll, I think we'll be okay. Be in a good spot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so you guys are obviously planted smack dead in the middle of some of the best duck hunting in the world. We are. Yeah. How, how is that? How is that? I mean, do you guys have employees that are showing up late every day because they're you know shooting a limit of mallards or what? We do, we have. Um, we really do have some phenomenal duck hunting very near to us. Uh, Lake Eufaula, which is a, a big reservoir in Oklahoma, mm -hmm. is 20 minutes from our, you know, the, the flooded shallow portion of Lake Eufaula is about 20 minutes from our front door. Mm -hmm. uh, the Deep Fork National Wildlife Refuge, which was founded in 1994 as a, because it was such an important piece of uh, wintering ground for, for waterfowl, that's literally across the street from the factory. Uh, when we want to get product photos or something like that, when we need something done quickly, we just drive across the road and get into the deep fork. And there's some fantastic hunting in there. Um, I want all of our employees to hunt. In fact, I wish more of them would hunt and would spend time. We try to be, um, you know, pretty forgiving and pretty liberal. If there's a culture at work where you feel like you can go hunt uh, and, you know what I mean, not get in trouble for rolling up late, uh, you'll, you'll plan it and you'll schedule it well. So we want our employees to hunt. Uh, we're in the process of trying to put together a gear bank for the employees to be able to use so that they can say, I want to go shoot geese. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to go shoot geese over a dry field while I can go, you know, check out the sack of shells, a couple of sacks of shells from the factory. And uh, I want to provide those opportunities for employees uh, so that they can they can do it. That's, I it's mean, I like idea. to hunt too. And, you know, yeah. what's good for the CEO ought to be good for the, the guy working on the, you know what I mean, drives the yep. forklift. Yeah. Uh, so we're we're trying to encourage that culture, but we yeah. have we have some incredible waterfowl opportunities in our you know right across the street from us, and so if you ever come down to, to Henrietta, you should plan a trip down there this fall, 
and uh, let, we've got a new duck boat product. It's roto molded like a Yeti cooler. Yeah. Uh, we wanted a, a super durable uh, duck boat, so we've we've got that duck boat uh, built and put together. We'll go put the duck boat into uh, the deep fork, and we should go find some birds. That would be uh, awesome. Sometime this fall. Well, so that brings up a topic that I want to talk about. Sure. And we were talking about it a little bit yesterday. Yep. But backcountry duck hunting. Yes. I think we need to make it a thing. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, so. Our director of sales is a guy named Ben Half, mm-hmm. uh, and I think Ben was kind of the connection that that put me in touch with with you all. Ben owns a ton of. I think Ben has three or four teepees. Yeah. That you all have made, uh, and he's got packs, and he's a big time uh, seek outside guy. He also uh, is a uh, his day job is that he works as a game warden for the state of Oklahoma, mm. and he kind of moonlights for us as our director of sales. But he checks more duck hunters than anybody in the state does, and so he kind of sees what the trends are and you know where the industry is headed and what's new and cool. And Ben's the guy that had the idea, and he said, you know what, these seek outside products like everything's super lightweight, everything's super durable. Uh, you know, we're trying to be the same thing, American-made, durable waterfowl products. And Ben's the guy that had the idea that said, we should find some mountain lake somewhere that we know has birds in it, someplace you can't drive the boat to, mm-hmm. someplace you can't just walk up, you know, get out of your pickup truck and walk up to. Uh, and we should call those Seek Outside guys and find an opportunity to leverage their lightweight, durable gear with our, you know, our lightest decoys and uh, see if we can hike into some place that you can't otherwise get to real easily and shoot some backcountry birds. Uh, so I'm, we're definitely interested. We definitely want to get it done. Dude, um, that's... You, we don't have a lot of, uh, you know, big-time mountain terrain. We, we've got a couple of spots in Oklahoma that we might be able to get this done in. But if you've got a lead on a good spot, uh, you say when, and, and we'll come running with all the duck gear. Uh, we'll, we'll have to do that because I... I remember specifically, I was talking with my buddy Jordan last year. We were up elk hunting and, you know, we walked up to this, this lake, you know, we were four miles in elk hunting and, man, there, there was tons of mallards in there. Mm-hmm. And we were just like, I wonder if any, anybody's ever done a backcountry duck hunt. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I could, it would, it would be a little tough. Yeah. You know, decoys are, are, are not the, the most, um, packable thing. Sure. Right. But I think if you throw four or five decoys in there, like some of those spots where the, the birds just haven't been hunted like that, yeah. I think it, it could be fun. And it's it's all about the experience, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, that's that's the reason why we did that, uh, that e-bike turkey hunt, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's just making something that um, you're typically just hunting out of the truck for, like turkeys, right? Sure. I mean, you can hop out of the truck, hike a quarter mile, be in your spot. Yep. But it's a little bit more fun to do it, you know, the hard way and, and see just do it to do it you know it's like kind of summiting a, a new mountain that nobody's done yeah right so I, I i got a couple spots that we'll have to make that happen for I sure i think if you if you planned the right mix of people you know if you were going to pack into a spot yeah, duck decoys are not super packable um but we've got some we've got some decoys that are there's everybody a lot of people in the industry say i have the lightest decoy on the market uh we we bought a bunch of those decoys and we weighed them and we're pretty confident that we do, in fact, have the lightest decoy on the market. Really? Yeah. Uh, our original M4 Mallard uh, is is the lightest decoy that you can find. It's a it's a standard size uh, Mallard decoy. We could probably, you know, if you spread load a dozen decoys between three guys, that's 
that's not impossible to pack up there. Yeah. What, right? So what would the weight be on that? Each oh, guy has. Uh, I don't 40, remember. It's it's decoys. the decoy weighs that decoy with a with a sand filled keel weighs something like twelve ounces. Twelve ounces. It's not outrageous. Oh no. And uh, so we could spread load um, a sack of decoys between three different guys. You know, everybody have to carry their own uh, personal gear mm -hmm. and uh, you know chow and so forth. Uh, some sort of a shelter because that's if you're going to go deep enough someplace you want to be able to stay overnight right mm -hmm. you give yourself more time to maybe you hunt a morning and you hunt an evening yep uh you'd have to pack a shotgun but who's a stranger to packing a firearm into the back country right yeah. yep and then uh shells and i've been th i thought about this last night uh after we we talked about it the other day i think that if you're hunting ducks in the backcountry like that they're probably not expecting you to be in there mm -hmm. i'm willing to bet that the birds will probably decoy easier than if they were down on the flatlands you know what i mean where they see a dozen pickup trucks yeah and they know guys are hunting them so you're probably going to be a little more efficient in terms of ammo consumption mm -hmm. than you would be if you were having to you know take a lot of pass shots on birds who were screaming past your spread to get a look yeah so I think you could probably, you know, I, you could probably hunt two days and each guy could probably pack one box of shells in. That's yeah. not outrageously heavy either. Yeah. I mean, four decoys, 12 ounces. I mean, you're really realistically probably only like compared to like a backcountry elk hunt, you're probably only adding pound or two pounds to your, yeah. to your setup. I mean, so yeah, that's definitely doable. You're not, you're not taking a spotting scope, right? Exactly. Nobody's a stranger to carrying a spotting scope and how yeah. much do those things weigh? Oh yeah. They're always heavy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I, I'm I'm with it, man. I, okay, I think let's we do should it. definitely do it. I think we should. Excellent. Um, I kind of want to switch gears here, right? So so we're at BHA. Uh, obviously, BHA is a big conservation-minded. Um, I mean, that's what they do, right? They sure. preserve public lands and stuff like that. You sure. are you are in an area that is um, not known for having the best public land access right mm -hmm. i mean in oklahoma you were just telling me about how they have a they just passed a law that has a 10 percent cap they haven't passed it yet fortunately oh, they haven't passed uh, it. and i think i think if it's not i haven't checked the the headlines in a couple of days if it's not dead yet it's close to being dead oh I really hope, I okay hope. okay that's good so so what is so i'm not super familiar with um what gnh has done conservation wise in the past sure but what, what are you guys' plans for being out and active in the conservation space with ducks? Yeah, that's that's a great question, uh, and I'm glad you asked it. GNH exists, obviously. You know, you heard the origin story from a little bit ago. It exists because of deliberate conservation efforts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it exists because somebody said, "Hey, we need to change." You know, the way that we approach waterfowl in this country, uh, and it existed for 88 years. Uh, obviously, because there were people in America who were concerned about waterfowl habitat, and and you know. How many birds do we have on the landscape? And access to public land is one of those critical things. Mm. Um, I can't remember what the source of the information is, but I read a statistic the other day that says, I, th I think something like 74% of waterfowl hunters will hunt some public land during the year. And there's another enormous chunk of those that do the majority of their hunting on public land. So if public land is important to anybody, it's important to us duck hunters, yeah. to waterfowl hunters. Birds move also, you know, mm -hmm. they fly across the country all, all season long. Um, you may have, you know, a, a whitetail can live on a small patch of property, live its entire life out on a small patch of property and never leave. Uh, but that duck may be on, you know, maybe up by you in Colorado one day and it may be in the Oklahoma panhandle the next day. Mm -hmm. So having robust access to, to public land is, is and should be very important. 
uh, to GNH. We had this bill, uh, they're commonly called, you know, no net gain bills, mm -hmm. uh, that says, hey, it, the bill would have capped uh, public land uh, ownership, for lack of a better term, at 10% of the total area of the state of Oklahoma. If we're not at that number already, we're certainly close to it. And that yeah. would have included both federal and state holdings. So what that would have meant is that the wildlife department could not have ever added any additional public hunting lands for people. You know, the population is growing mm -hmm. with what's gone on with COVID. More and more people are getting outdoors, yeah. right? And there need to be more. Not everybody has a duck club. Yeah. There need to be more uh, public land opportunities for people to get out and hunt. And this bill, when we when I sat down and, and read it and looked at it, it looked like a disaster to me. And I thought, man, this is, it's not just bad for my business. It's a, it's kind of a bad idea in principle. Yeah. And uh, when we started to look at, you know, we're very well connected with our state's uh, wildlife department, the Oklahoma Wildlife Department. We got a great relationship with uh, J.D. Strong, the director, and a number of the other people that are, uh, you know, hardworking decision makers there. They have a legislative liaison uh, named Corey Jaeger, and we talked to Corey about it, and she said, yeah, this is, this is as bad as it looks. And so, uh, you know, we decided, uh, we started to look at the bill and we said, who is, is standing up and making a stink about this to help voters realize how bad of an idea this is? And the Oklahoma chapter of BHA was kind of the sole voice that was kind of raising the alarm and saying, hey, this is something we should be concerned about. And, you know, I'd heard of BHA, I'd been aware of it before, but I wasn't involved with it. Uh, and when I sat down to really think about how the issue would affect waterfowl hunting and not just our business but like my kids opportunity to get out and enjoy the public spaces in Oklahoma that I've enjoyed yeah. uh, I realized that you know this is something we needed to take seriously and that's when we decided that you know we kind of wanted to come to the table at BHA we also discovered that there was not a real uh, waterfowl presence at BHA yeah there's a lot of guys you know like yourself you've got a company that that makes a lot of great products for big game hunters uh but you got a hat with a pintail on right now yeah <laughs> and uh so a lot of guys that maybe they're not maybe duck hunting isn't their first thing but it's certainly what what fills up the rest of their season after they've punched those you know elk and mule deer tags yep and uh so we wanted to we wanted to come and and you know not just be participants here this weekend at bha but we want to kind of have a long-term relationship with the organization to do what we can uh to help uh you know sort of preach the same gospel about the importance of public land certainly as it pertains to to waterfowl hunting yeah well and it's i mean a couple of things i wanted to hit on so first off i mean it is like duck hunting is the probably the first thing that a lot of people go yep. hunting on right so, like you're you're a 10 year old kid can't really shoot a rifle but you're gonna go duck hunting it's I mean, easy it's accessible yeah easy absolutely. accessible so the importance of public lands because we my, my family was lucky enough we we got in in boulder county we had a duck lease my mm -hmm. dad paid like 350 dollars a year for this duck wow. lease that i mean literally world class i mean you know i'm sure now if they tried to lease it out it would be you know I mean, you could turn it into a duck club, but, sure. and it, it really sparked my interest in hunting. You know, it was like every single weekend we were going out there shooting ducks and, and you just learn so many freaking lessons out there, yeah. duck hunting that you can then apply to other, um, you know, hunting scenarios. So that was the first thing that I wanted to touch on. But then the other thing that I wanted to touch on is BHA, like all these guys are looking to extend their season as mm -hmm. long as possible, right? Yeah. So uh, I think it's it's super important that I'm, I'm glad that we're seeing you here. You know, First Light's coming at, kind of coming out with a waterfowl uh, yep. apparel line. We got duck camp here, which kind of more 
leisure, but they also do a lot of duck hunting, you know, uh, yeah. photography shoots and stuff like that. So I'm super glad that I'm seeing more interest in waterfowl in, in BHA and yeah. especially Western hunters. Um, my, my question for you was, where do you guys sell the most decoys to? Like, uh, like, do you sell a lot out here? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we're finding uh, that there are pockets of the country that mm -hmm. are sort of GNH hotspots, and they're not where we expected that they were going to be. Really? When we kind of took the project over. Um, coastal North Carolina, uh, sort of the middle of North Carolina and coastal North Carolina, big GNH uh, country over there. Um, a lot of swans get killed out there. Really? And we had, that was one of the things that really startled me early on was us, we started, the phone started ringing from North Carolina and people saying, hey, if you guys are still in business or you're back in business, they like those Ultramag shells mm -hmm. and we will paint them. We made some as snow goose Ultramags. Mm. Well, we've decided to start making them as swan decoys. Yeah. It's a slightly different paint scheme uh, than it would be to make a, a snow. Different bill. Those North Carolina guys love that big Ultramag for swans. Uh, we've got an Ultramag uh, sleeper that's that's pretty popular so north carolina uh big lot of of gnh identity there um a lot of gnh identity in uh louisiana we're finding also that's, that's not too one. far from us yeah but a lot of folks in in uh you know sort of south central louisiana along the coast there um the texas coast still has a lot of strong identity there's a, a shout out to some friends of ours at bay flats lodge in uh sea drift texas we kind of discovered that uh, they had, you know, we started to see it on their social media. Uh, uh, I was going to say, I've seen them multiple yeah, times on Pintail rigs that were 40-year-old uh, GNH decoys that they were still hunting over. And so we reached out to those guys, and we've got a, a new partnership with them. Uh, but they've been committed GNH hunters for a long time. And when we went down there to hunt with them this year, you know, their young guides who were in their 20s were like, oh, yeah, GNH. This one guide was so proud to show me these teal that he had in his rig that uh, were three, had been hunted for three generations. His grandfather bought them, he gave them to his dad and passed them on to him and he's a professional duck guide and he still hunts over these teal day in and day out. That's awesome. So Texas coast, uh, a lot of, of uh, GNH fans down there. Um, up in the Dakotas, uh, you know, of course the yeah. Dakotas is a, a historic American uh, waterfowl spot. A lot of people hunt GNH up there. Um, a lot of goose hunters in and around. We found a pocket of goose hunters in and around Illinois mm -hmm. that are uh, still diehard GNH fans. But the place that surprised me the most was uh, California. And everybody yeah. knows that California has great waterfowl hunting culture. Mm -hmm. um, if you know anything about you know duck hunting at all, you know that uh, sort of the middle of California has a, not just a lot of birds, but a lot of variety of, of hunting experiences in there. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people, uh, Dick Gazalski had some family in California, and so I think he was in and out of California. And uh, a lot of people in California, in fact, we had two duck clubs call us from California in the past week and place big club orders for their club. I was going to say, that's a good spot to have because those duck clubs, I mean, my buddy Jordan was telling me that their, their club has like 4,000 decoys. I yeah. was like, oh my God, I didn't know. You could even have that many decoys, but yeah. yeah, they'll just leave them out all year. And that's why they like GNH because that's you know that's the big selling feature of our product is that we're really proud of how durable our our paint is. Yeah, and uh, that that paint process that we have, we do something kind of unique. We heat treat all of our decoys before we paint them. Yeah, and uh, those those paint schemes are designed and built to last, you know, six, eight, maybe ten seasons. 
and you can definitely leave GNH decoys out on the on the pond or on the impoundment all season and not worry about them fading or the paint coming off. So. Yeah, that, that's the thing about them. They're they're pretty bomb proof. Yep. I mean, just from my experience. But we got Kev Kevin. You want to join us here? You guys can keep going. Okay, okay. cool. Well, this is here if you want it. But um, <clears throat> let me just check this real quick. What's going on? Oh, there we go. Um, yeah, they're 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 bomb proof, and I mean that's. Especially if you're talking about maybe doing a backcountry duck hunt, that's yeah. probably the thing that you want. Um, yeah, that's it's really cool, man. I'm I'm glad that glad that you guys are getting involved here, and Thank you know, you. just because I, I love coming up to BHA, and now I'll be excited to see you guys every year here. Absolutely, <laughs> we'll we'll be back next year for sure. Right on, well, cool, man. Well, do you have anything else that you wanted to talk about? No, that's it. You know, I'm, uh, thanks for for having us on your your program here. Uh, Seek Outside, a company I've been familiar with for a number of years, and you know, like I said, spent some great nights inside of uh, you know Seek Outside gear uh, in the backcountry. Uh, I told you that that story yesterday. I guess I could recount it shortly. You know, I went on an elk hunt with a buddy uh, in Idaho. It was this was four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, we flew back into the Frank Church, so we were trying to go. Oh, you did a fly-in? Lightweight. Yeah, we, yeah, we flew in and, uh, you know, tried to get as far away from the airstrip as we could and hunt. And uh, my buddy Joe killed this great bull uh, that was, this was in, uh, this was like last week of October, first week of November. And uh, some cow who was either in late estrus or, you know, second cycle or something like this. And he had this, she had this bull uh, with his nose up her tail. Mm -hmm. running up back and forth on the mountainside. Wow. So Joe killed this bull and it fell between the hillside and this big log. And he fell with his legs down in between the log and the hillside. And so cleaning this thing was next to impossible. We had to, you know, we like to run the gutless method, mm -hmm. you know, take the thing apart um, and then pack the pieces out. Well, we couldn't get to the flank of the animal because one side of the flank was against the hill and the other was against this log. And so we had to clean it kind of from, from the top. We had to open the thing up along the spine and then pull hindquarters out backwards and we were trying to reach up under the, it was a disaster. So we were there cleaning this elk for legitimately, I think nine or 10 hours. And the sun went down and we're trying to do this by flashlight and we're like probably a mile and a half away from our little, our little camp. But we can't, you know, we're not gonna leave this thing there and starts to freezing rain down on top of us. We finally get the thing uh, cut up. We decided to hang most of the elk in, uh, in the trees there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and come back for it another day. And uh, so we got the thing finally all hung up. It's like two o'clock in the morning. And uh, Joe says, all right, let's grab our stuff and let's go back and, you know, cook ourselves something to eat and go to sleep. We can sleep in tomorrow. And uh, I said, okay, let's go. And I took off down the drainage and we got in this argument. Joe and I have been friends since we were like seven years old. Yeah. And he said, that's the wrong way. And I said, no, it's not, Joe. I'm 100% confident that our camp is down this, down this draw. He's like, no, look on the map. I'm telling you, it's over that saddle and then down the backside. And it got, we got heated arguing about which way was the right way to go. And finally, I just gave up and I said, fine, we'll walk for, for an hour in your direction and you'll see that you're wrong. And sure enough, he was right all along and uh, I was the guy that was disoriented. <laughs> yeah. But the amount of time it took us to cut that thing up and then have that stupid argument and then find our way in the dark back to our, our camp, we were completely drenched i mean we were soaked through yeah with this you know ice forming on our packs it was some of the most miserable i've ever been and uh we got back and we had that seek outside cimarron pitched and that thing was literally a lifesaver to us i mean we were blue in the fingers and blue in the faces teeth chattering completely drenched and to be able to get inside that little 
teepee and spark that stove up oh. and get warm and dry, uh, it probably saved us from, I, I, I don't know if we would have died, but it saved us from, uh, you know, ending our trip early. Potential hypothermia. Packing out I mean, and going sure. home. Yeah. And uh, it was such a luxury. We stayed in there for, for a couple of hours and ran that stove as hot as we could get it. Yeah. You know, stripped down to our skivvies and just ate food and sat there and, and warmed back up. So oh, I, I love your stuff. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to a whole lot more nights in the backcountry. Yeah. And a piece of Seek Outside gear. And, and the wetlands. Yeah. <laughs> and the and wetlands. Let's, let's see where we can go with this, uh, this duck thing. It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. Well, cool, man. Well, I really appreciate you jumping on. And uh, we'll have to maybe uh, maybe come duck season, we'll, at least if we don't do it in person, yeah. we'll, have to, uh, we'll have to get a recap of how things are going and, yeah, and for sure. see how things are going over at G&H. And, for sure. But yeah, great to talk to you, man. Hope you guys come down to the factory and uh, we'll, oh. we can, at a minimum, we can get out and hunt close to us. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'll give you guys a tour and see how we do it and introduce you to all the folks that make G&H happen. Right on. Sounds awesome. like a deal. Thanks, Ryan. Cool, man. Thank you.